Chain by Jack Schaefer. Chapter 7. It was just as Father and Shane had said. The story Chris told was common knowledge all through the valley before the sun set the next day, and the story grew in the telling. Fletcher had an advantage now, and he was quick to push it. He and his foreman, Morgan, a broad slab of a man with flattened face and head small in proportion to great sloping shoulders, were shrewd at things like this, and they kept their men primed to rowel us homesteaders at every chance. They took to using the upper ford, up above Ernie Wright's stand, and riding down the road past our places every time they had an excuse for going to town. They would go by slowly, looking everything over with insolent interest and passing remarks for our benefit. The same week, maybe three days later, a covey of them came riding by while Father was putting a new hinge on the corral gate. They acted like they were too busy staring over our land to see him there close. "'Wonder where Starrett keeps the critters,' said one of them. "'I don't see a pig in sight.' "'But I can smell em shouted another one. With that, they all began to laugh and whoop and holler and went tearing off, kicking up a lot of dust and leaving Father with a tightness around his mouth that was not there before. They were impartial with attentions like that. They would hand them out anywhere along the line an open opportunity offered. But they liked best to catch Father within earshot and burn him with their sarcasm. It was crude. It was coarse. I thought it silly for grown men to act that way. But it was effective. Shane, as self-sufficient as the mountains, could ignore it. Father, while it galled him, could keep it from getting him. The other homesteaders, though, could not help being irritated and showing they felt insulted. It roughed their nerves and made them angry and restless. They did not know Shane as Father and I did. They were not sure there might not be some truth in the big talk Chris was making. Things became so bad they could not go into Grafton's store without someone singing out for soda pop. And wherever they went, the conversation nearby always snuck around somehow to pigs. You could sense the contempt building up in town, in people who used to be neutral, not taking sides. The effect showed, too, in the attitude our neighbors now had toward Shane. They were constrained when they called to see Father, and Shane was there. They resented that he was linked to them. And as a result, their opinion of Father was changing. That was what finally drove Shane. He did not mind what they thought of him. Since his session with Chris, he seemed to have won a kind of inner peace. He was as alert and watchful as ever but there was a serenity in him that had erased entirely the old tension. I think he did not care what anyone anywhere thought of him, except us, his folks. And he knew that with us he was one of us, unchangeable and always. But he did care what they thought of Father. He was standing silently on the porch the night Ernie Wright and Henry Shipstead were arguing with Father in the kitchen, I can't stomach much more, Ernie Wright was saying. You know the trouble I've had with those blasted cowboys cutting my fence. Today, a couple of them rode over and helped me repair a piece. Helped me, damn them. 
waited till we were through, then said Fletcher didn't want any of my pigs getting loose and mixing with his cattle. My pigs. There ain't a pig in this whole valley, and they know it. I'm sick of the word. Father made it worse by chuckling. Grim, maybe, yet still a chuckle. Sounds like one of Morgan's ideas. He's smart. Mean, but... Henry Shipstead would not let him finish. This is nothing to laugh at, Joe. You least of all. Damn it, man, I'm beginning to doubt your judgment. None of us can keep our heads up around here any more. Just a while ago, I was in Grafton's and Chris was there, blowing high about your Shane must be thirsty because he's so scared he hasn't been in town lately for his soda pop. Both of them were hammering at father now. He was sitting back, saying nothing, his face clouding. You can't dodge it, Joe. This was right. Your man's responsible. You can try explaining all night, but you can't change the facts. Chris braced him for a fight, and he ducked out, and left us stuck with those stinking pigs. You know as well as I do what Fletcher's doing, growled Henry Shipstead. He's pushing us with this, and he won't let up till one of us gets enough and makes a fool play and starts something so he can move in and finish it. Fool play or not, said Ernie Wright, I've had all I can take. The next time one of those— Father stopped him with a hand up for silence. Listen, what's that? It was a horse, picking up speed and tearing down our lane into the road. Father was at the door in a single jump, peering out. The others were close behind him. Shane. Father nodded. He was muttering under his breath. As I watched from the doorway of my little room, I could see that his eyes were bright and dancing. He was calling Shane names, cursing him, softly, fluently. He came back to his chair and grinned at the other two. That's Shane, he told them, and the words meant more than they seemed to say. All we can do now is wait. They were a silent crew, waiting. Mother got up from her sewing in the bedroom, where she had been listening as she always did, and came into the kitchen and made up a pot of coffee, and they all sat there sipping at the hot stuff and waiting. It could not have been much more than twenty minutes before we heard the horse again, coming swiftly and slewing around to make the lane without slowing. There were quick steps on the porch, and Shane stood in the doorway. He was breathing strongly, and his face was hard. His mouth was a thin line in the bleakness of his face, and his eyes were deep and dark. He looked at Shipstead and Wright, and he made no effort to hide the disgust in his voice. "'Your pigs are dead and buried.' As his gaze shifted to father, his face softened. But the voice was still bitter. "'There's another one down. Chris won't be bothering anybody for quite a spell.' He turned and disappeared, and we could hear him leading the horse into the barn. In the quiet following, hoofbeats like an echo sounded in the distance. They swelled louder, and this second horse galloped into our lane and pulled to a stop. Ed Howells jumped to the porch and hurried in. "'Where's Shane?' "'Out in the barn,' father said. "'Did he tell you what happened?' "'Not much,' father said mildly. 
something about burying pigs. Ed Howells slumped into a chair. He seemed a bit dazed. The words came out of him slowly at first, as he tried to make the others grasp just how he felt. "'I never saw anything like it,' he said, and he told about it. He had been in Grafton's store, buying a few things, not caring about going into the saloon, because Chris and Red Marlin, another of Fletcher's cowboys, had hands in the evening poker game, when he noticed how still the place was. He went over to sneak a look, and there was Shane, just moving to the bar, cool and easy, as if the room was empty and he the only one in it. Neither Chris nor Red Marlin was saying a word though you might have thought this was a good chance for them to cut loose with some of their raw sarcasm. One look at Shane was enough to tell why. He was cool and easy, right enough, but there was a curious kind of smooth flow to his movements that made you realize without being conscious of thinking about it that being quiet was a mighty sensible way to be at the moment. Two bottles of soda pop,' he called to Will Atke. He leaned his back to the bar and looked the poker game over with what seemed a friendly interest, while Will fetched the bottles from the store. Not another person even twitched a muscle. They were all watching him and wondering what the play was. He took the two bottles and walked to the table and set them down, reaching over to put one in front of Chris. "'The last time I was in here, you bought me a drink.' Now it's my turn. The words sort of lingered in the stillness. He got the impression, Ed Howell said, that Shane meant just what the words said. He wanted to buy Chris a drink. He wanted Chris to take that bottle and grin at him and drink with him. You could have heard a bug crawl, I guess, while Chris carefully laid down the cards in his right hand and stretched it to the bottle. He lifted it in a sudden jerk and flung it across the table at Shane. So fast Shane moved, Ed Howell said, that the bottle was still in the air when he had dodged, lunged forward, grabbed Chris by the shirt front, and hauled him right out of his chair and over the table. As Chris struggled to get his feet under him, Shane let go the shirt and slapped him, sharp and stinging, three times, the hand flicking back and forth so quick you could hardly see it, the slaps sounding like pistol shots. Shane stepped back, and Chris stood swaying a little and shaking his head to clear it. He was a game one, and mad down to his boots. He plunged in, fists smashing, and Shane let him come, slipping inside the flailing arms and jolting a powerful blow low into his stomach. As Chris gasped and his head came down, Shane brought his right hand up, open, and with the heel of it caught Chris full on the mouth, snapping his head back and raking up over the nose and eyes. The force of it knocked Chris off balance, and he staggered badly. His lips were crushed. Blood was dripping over them from his battered nose. His eyes were red and watery, and he was having trouble seeing with them. His face, Ed Howell said, and shook a little as he said it, looked like a horse had stomped it. But he drove in again, swinging wildly. Shane ducked under, caught one of the flying wrists, 
twisted the arm to lock it and keep it from bending, and swung his shoulder into the armpit. He yanked hard on the wrist, and Chris went up and over him. As the body hurtled over, Shane kept hold of the arm and wrenched it sideways, and let the weight bear on it, and you could hear the bone crack as Chris crashed to the floor. A long, sobbing sigh came from Chris, and that died away, and there was not a sound in the room. Shane never looked at the crumpled figure. He was straight and deadly and still. Every line of him was alive and eager, but he stood motionless. Only his eyes shifted to search the faces of the others at the table. They stopped on Red Marlin, and Red seemed to dwindle lower in his chair. Perhaps, Shane said softly, and the very softness of his voice sent shivers through Ed Howells. Perhaps you have something to say about soda pop or pigs. Red Marlin sat quiet, like he was trying not even to breathe. Tiny drops of sweat appeared on his forehead. He was frightened, maybe for the first time in his life, and the others knew it, and he knew they knew, and he did not care. And none of them blamed him at all. Then, as they watched, the fire in Shane smoldered down and out. He seemed to withdraw back within himself. He forgot them all and turned toward Chris unconscious on the floor, and a sort of sadness, Ed Howell said, crept over him and held him. He bent and scooped the sprawling figure up in his arms and carried it to one of the other tables. Gently, he set it down, the legs falling limp over the edge. He crossed to the bar and took the rag Will used to wipe it and returned to the table and tenderly cleared the blood from the face. He felt carefully along the broken arm and nodded to himself at what he felt. All this while, no one said a word. Not a one of them would have interfered with that man for a year's top wages. He spoke and his voice rang across the room at Red Marlin. "'You'd better tote him home and get that arm fixed. Take right good care of him. He has the makings of a good man.' Then he forgot them all again, and looked at Chris, and went on speaking as if to that limp figure that could not hear him. "'There's only one thing really wrong with you. You're young. That's the one thing time can always cure.' The thought hurt him, and he strode to the swinging doors and threw them into the night. That was what Ed Howells told. The whole business, he finished, didn't take five minutes. It was maybe thirty seconds from the time he grabbed hold of Chris till Chris was out cold on the floor. In my opinion, that Shane is the most dangerous man I've ever seen. I'm glad he's working for Joe here and not for Fletcher." father leveled a triumphant look at Henry Shipstead. So I've made a mistake, have I? Before anyone else could push in a word, mother was speaking. I was surprised, because she was upset, and her voice was a little shrill. I wouldn't be too sure about that, Joe Starrett. I think you've made a bad mistake. Marion, what's got into you? Look what you've done just because you got him to stay on here and get mixed up in this trouble with Fletcher. Father was edging toward being peeved himself. 
Women never do understand these things. Look a here, Marion. Chris'll be all right. He's young and he's healthy. Soon as that arm is mended, he'll be in as good shape as he ever was. Oh, Joe, can't you see what I'm talking about? I don't mean what you've done to Chris. I mean what you've done to Shane.'